0: Get paid for your pet, get paid for your pet, get paid for your
1: pet, get paid for your pet. Welcome everybody, another episode of Get Paid For Your Pet number 68 and it's a special episode because today I'm with Josefa and he hasn't been around for a while so I'm excited that he's Back on the show, Josefa, how's it going?
0: Good. Hi everybody, how's it going? Good to be back.
1: And today we have a very special guest, his name is Seth Porges, and he's... Hey Hey Seth, how you doing? (laughs) I'm good. Um, I was going to say he's uh, quite well known in the US, Uh, he's been on uh, several TV shows, he's written for some big magazines, so uh, without further ado, Seth, welcome to the show, and, thanks uh, for
2: having me, and thanks for the intro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Sure. So I actually run a startup called Cloth, and it's an app in the App Store. If you have an iOS device, you can give it a download. It's a fashion app. And uh, over the years, I've been in a magazine editor, written for numerous major magazines, and been on a couple of television shows, mostly on Travel Channel, National Geographic, History Channel, those kind of shows. So you might have seen me.
1: Awesome. And you have also been hosting on Airbnb for quite a long time, correct?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, been 2010 when I began, so five years now.
1: Well, back then, there weren't that many hosts. I'm just writing a big post about the history of Airbnb and how they got started. And it, it took a while before they, they got some traction. At the beginning, nobody wanted to invest. Every thought, everybody thought it was crazy. So, um, so you must have been one of, the, one of the early hosts. So, Do you remember what it was like back in the day to, to host on Airbnb?
2: Yeah, you know, the biggest change was that nowadays you can say the word Airbnb and people know what you're talking about. Back then, I had to explain to people what I was doing, and then, of course, there'd be inevitably questions, why, or isn't that dangerous, or how, or does it make any sense? Um, But nowadays, it's become so common that, you know, the mystery is is all gone, and that's sort of the biggest change. But, you know, Airbnb, it came onto the scene, and you're right, like, at first, not many people really got it, and... People like myself, like, I think we really saw that this was going to be something big because we were shoehorning Airbnb out of other platforms, whether that was Craigslist or word of mouth or whatever it was, there was this desire for people to rent rooms on a short-term basis and to stay in rooms on a short-term basis. But without a platform like Airbnb, it was actually just very, very difficult to do. And what Airbnb did is it came in they in many ways, legitimized the practice and they made it safer and cleaner and neater and easier.
0: Now, can you tell us a little bit about your initial listing what, what city was it in? What was, what was kind of like the style, the type of the place?
2: Yeah, sure. My initial listing is the same listing I have now. I've lived there for a number of years and you know, it's a two bedroom place. It's a duplex. And so it's actually really well situated for Airbnb because there's a ton of privacy. My bedroom is on one floor. The guest room is on a separate floor. It's really awesome for this. Um, And I had this extra room and I didn't really want a full-time roommate. If you've ever had a roommate, you know, inevitably you guys kind of get on each other's nerves. They have all their stuff. Uh, There's all these reasons I didn't want another roommate. But I didn't want the room to go to waste. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I could rent it out for people for maybe like a month at a time, sort of like a short-term basis. Uh, And I realized, you know what, if you're a traveler and you're coming to New York, you know, unless you have unlimited money or an expense account, you can't really stay at a hotel for more than a couple days. It's just prohibitively expensive. And hostels, you know, are also rather expensive in New York and not really the friendliest places. And finding sublets is so painful in New York. It's just really hard to do. And I thought like, man, I, I really wish there was an easier way to to match make this. And so at first I put the room out on Craigslist before we'd ever heard of Airbnb looking for short-term sublets that would stay maybe a month at a time or a couple weeks at a time. And I did this a couple times and had a pretty okay experience. Nothing really bad happened, but there are all these sort of flaws in the system. You know, inevitably somebody would check in and then a couple days later they go, oh yeah, my friend is staying here too. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And, or uh, simply the act of asking them for money was really awful and painful because you kind of want to be their friend and suddenly you're asking them for several hundred dollars in cash. It gets really weird. And when Airbnb came along, it actually just instantly solved all these problems. Suddenly, they were handling the transaction, the financial side of it. So you never actually have to ask anybody for money, which is really, really, it's hard to overstate how important that is to the process. But most important of all, they had reviews. And when you take a guest off Craigslist or word of mouth or anything else you're you're hoping they're great, and oftentimes they are great, even the best guests though, you know, without a form of accountability, they're really not under any incentive to you maybe clean up as much as they will, or sort of act on the best behavior. But with the review system at Airbnb, and this goes both ways with hosts and guests, you have this built-in incentive for people to just act nice to each other. And it kind of codifies this social interaction to a highly positive manner. And I think really it, it's sort of this um, invisible... that kind of guides human behavior in Airbnb setting, but simply the presence of the review system and the fact that there is some accountability just makes
0: guests who normally would be good, great. And that's a really important part of the process. It's interesting you mentioned the the payment mechanism. I also tutor uh, kids in math and other subjects on a platform, using a platform called Wyzant. And that is so important. The fact that Wyzant essentially handles the payment so it's, it's seamless you don't have to again uh, ask for payment or request a check and man I can't tell you how how much simpler life is when you have that and same is true absolutely for Airbnb it's all done kind of behind the scenes you don't have to deal with it and uh, and yeah it makes things makes things very nice when you when you first got your listing going in New York was there instant demand on Airbnb or was it something that slowly gained momentum yeah, you know, I never really had any
2: problems keeping my place booked. Uh, there was there was instant demand, and I think, you know, of course, there weren't nearly as many people searching for places to stay in Airbnb five years ago as there are today. But there also weren't as many hosts, and so. As demand has grown, supply has grown as well, and I have no idea which has grown faster, honestly. But in the early days, it wasn't difficult to get bookings because there just weren't many bookings as competition. Um, One thing I have noticed change over the years, it was the type of person who uses Airbnb. In the beginning, it really was a much more casual, almost couch surfing type customer. But nowadays, it's people who are kind of using it, uh, you know, instead of hotels often, and a lot of business travelers. And so in the early days, I think expectations were a little bit lower. Maybe you didn't have to be as diligent about making sure every surface was wiped down. Nowadays, you know, I, you really do have to provide almost a hotel-like experience because people expect it. And the type of person who uses Airbnb is a lot more of a, a mainstream traveler. It's not simply people who are sort of upgrading from the world of couch surfing.
1: Yeah I think you see that with a lot of online platforms you know in the beginning it's the early adopters who who jump on board and and they just love the concept you know so they they're not going to be very critical um about the platform you know because I know <clears throat> back in the day um you know the site was very different it didn't have all the all the options that it has now um like nowadays you have a, a pricing tool um you know the pictures are are all really nice and uh, as a host, you can, you can see all sorts of data and stuff. But uh, when you started, it must have been a pretty basic website.
2: You know, it, it was basic, but the evolution of the site has been gradual enough that I couldn't even tell you what the differences are between back then and now, if you ask me. There were a couple, You know, there still is some competition in this space. I and mean, back then, though, Airbnb wasn't the dominant player. It wasn't the, the Kleenex, the name brand, the Coca-Cola of the space. And some people I knew who were kind of experimenting with short-term rentals were cross-listing on numerous spaces. And I think one of the reasons that Airbnb kind of won out in the end in many ways and is the default platform for this is that their site always looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. It was always a really nice, appealing, very clean design site. And... That's really, really key for this because it it makes your place look better. It makes the entire experience welcoming. And what they did is they took this, what was sort of this gray market, semi-shady activity, and they brought it into the open and they made it safer, cleaner, neater, in order to that they really did need a, a good looking site. And a lot of their early team were design people, my understanding is. And so I think they really, from an early stage, understood the importance of good design in this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I started, I actually listed on a different platform um, at the same time. I was using Windu as well as Airbnb. And I looked at all the others, you know, HomeAway and, and there's a bunch of others, VRBO. But I just felt like the other ones just didn't look as good. And yep. Also, the, it just looked kind of old-fashioned, you know, when you, when you look yeah. away, When you look at Airbnb, you really feel like, okay, this is, this is in line with the, with the current trends.
2: That's you know, nice. you're right. And 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 I think you're you are far from alone in that. You know, back then, again, before Airbnb was the default option, it was somewhat arbitrary what platform you would list on. And talking around, I found some people would list on different platforms that they found they could get a little bit more money from Airbnb for the same listing just because it felt more upscale. And that you know, in in it's a very well-run company with really smart people at top who've done an amazing job of hustling to make their platform what it is today, but you really can't dismiss the simple fact that good design played a huge part in them getting initial traction,
0: so you mentioned before that you you one of the reasons why you chose Airbnb over a fixed term lease is because you it's it's preferable to having a roommate have you have you also looked at the numbers as far as the breakdown, like, you know, are you making it, you know, is it more profitable essentially to, to do it the way you're doing it? Or does it come out about even, or have you looked into that at all?
2: Sure. It's, well, it's a hundred percent more profitable. I mean, just the way the world works, if you, you know, it's, it's like buying anything in bulk at Costco. If you, if you buy more of it, whether it's days of an apartment or anything else, you, you pay less in the long run. So if I, you know, sell a whole bunch of short-term rentals, I can certainly make more money. Uh, but it's not, Why I do it? It's it's not why I, you know. Certainly, it's more lucrative, um, which is nice. But I do it because it's more fun than having a roommate. I get to meet more people, more cool people. Um, If somebody turned out to be kind of a drag, which rarely happens, they're gone in a week. It's not a big deal. If you pick a roommate and it doesn't work out, well, you're kind of stuck with them, and that's kind of unfortunate. Like all the, I just didn't want a roommate. I didn't want to feel like i was sharing an apartment with somebody i wanted to feel like it was my apartment and i felt it's almost it was just like romantic notion of being an innkeeper i guess i think when i first started doing this i was really you know it was really appealing to me in the same way i think a lot of people have these fantasies of moving away to the countryside and opening a bed and breakfast it was the same thing but in a much more manageable scale the idea that i could have this open door and all these awesome cool people could come through and i could meet people from all over the world. And that certainly hasn't disappointed in that respect. It's been this incredible just tool for meeting awesome people who are a part
0: of my life now, friends in all sorts of cities. And in a roommate, that's just not possible. Can you give us a story of somebody really, aw- I'm sure you have dozens, uh, maybe more, but can you give us the, the first story that comes to mind of a really awesome or incredible person that you met through Airbnb?
2: You know, a number of people who have actually ended up working with me on Cloth, my app, um, I actually met via Airbnb. Uh, one of my uh, tech guys met. I met, he's just a guest at Airbnb, one of my uh, now friends who kind of helping me with a lot of the business strategy and, and partnerships, and all that stuff. He was a guest. It's been this incredible business networking tool in many ways. It's, it's a really nice way to kind of penetrate outside your own bubble and meet people you just normally would never come across. And that's really fun.
1: You know what's really interesting. Most hosts that we talk to, they hear about Airbnb first, and then they start considering uh, listing their place. But for you, it was the other way around. You yes, weren't happy. with absolutely. your current situation, and you were actually looking for an alternative. And and how did you how did you find out about Airbnb?
2: You know, that's a great question. I think I might have seen one of the early news stories about it. It was, you know, before I had ever heard of Airbnb, as I said, I was listing my place on Craigslist for short-term rentals. And as I mentioned, like, it didn't really work. And when I saw Airbnb, it just instantly clicked to me as here is the solution to every single point-by-point problem I have. And that was really, I thought, you know, what's the harm in trying it out? Where did I actually hear about it for the first time? I, you know, part of me thinks it was a New York Daily News article from 2010 or 2009, in which the writer uh, rented an Airbnb, which was literally like a tent on somebody's rooftop in Manhattan. And I thought, like, oh, this is it. This is exactly what I'm looking for. And, you know, no turning back since then.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, it was kind of a similar thing. I was renting out on the the long term, you know, and I was traveling a lot. So I could never stay at my own place. And also, I was worried that my, my renter wouldn't leave if I would ever move back. Or yeah. didn't want to move back, right? And so for me it it solved three problems. It's flexibility. I can stay in my house when I want. It's the extra income, and I'm guaranteed that the that the guests are are leaving. I'm never going to be stuck in a situation where I need to go to court to get my renter out of my house.
2: absolutely, and, and that's that's that is a serious issue in some cities that it's very difficult to kick somebody out
1: yeah exactly. and for example in holland it's it's almost impossible if the if the person has stayed more than a year, i think you you literally mm-hmm. have to go to court, even though it doesn't matter what the contract says. yeah and uh, we actually had a a person on the on the podcast a while ago. Her name was Ellie, and she's from Australia, and she was in real estate, and she had like ten properties or so, and at some point she had two or three people at the same time who weren't paying rent. And she actually did go to court to get those people out. And it turned out to be such a pain in the ass, she, she lost out on, on two or three months of rent per, per property. So she lost a lot of money. And then she literally took all her properties and, and put them on Airbnb. And now she's she's got like 10 Airbnb listings, basically. Yeah. So it's uh, <clears throat> it also reminds me of, uh, of our very first interview that we had with our friend Chris who was running out in, in Canada and he had a really awful, uh, roommate. And, and so he got so sick of it that after his roommate left, he never wanted to sublet again. So, um, let's, uh, let's talk about your listing a little bit. I I had a look and the first thing I noticed was that you've got a lot of Q and A on your description. Yeah, I thought that was like, that's a, that's a great idea.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think I stole that from some other listing I came across. You know, you find if you host an Airbnb for any length of time, you get the same questions asked you again and again and again. And I thought, all right, I'll just put them up front. Um, and it has saved me so many hours just in terms of writing the same answers again and again and again to people.
0: Now, when you have when you have guests check in, do you normally? sit down with them, have a cup of coffee with them and get to know them or is it is it a case by case thing that you sort of uh, evaluate?
2: No, sure. When guests check in, what I like to do is just take 5 minutes to show them around the apartment and kind of show them like, oh, here's the hot water machine. Here's how you drink water. Like, here's how you know, all the little quirks in your place that kind of need explanation. Here's the outlet where if you tug too hard, it could fly off the wall, you know. Um and it's a good way to kind of get acquainted with them and show them, oh, here's a really cool place, but here's how you kind of make the best use of it. And that's sort of my standard operating procedure. One thing also that you might have noticed in my listing, which is uh, you know, I think some other people have mimicked since, and, I, and maybe I was the first person. I don't know to do this. I don't know if that's the case, is um, I put a little code phrase in my listing. If you're a host on Airbnb, you know, that you really just want people to lead your, read your entire listing before they message you because oftentimes you know, you'll have people who message you thinking they're getting the whole apartment but it's really one room because they just didn't bother to read it. Or they might have a bunch of questions that you find yourself redundantly answering again and again and again. So what I did is I put this code phrase where it says, to prove you have read my listing, just put this at the top of your message. And about two-thirds of my messages, I can instantly see, have this code phrase, and I can just at a glance tell this person read my listing or they didn't. And that way, if they don't have the code phrase, I can say, hey, if you could do me a favor and go back and read my listing, I think it might answer any questions you have. And that there does a couple things. It, it instantly tells me who's read my listing. It saves me from having to answer the same questions again and again and again. And guests kind of like it. It feels like they feel like they won a game when they come across this this secret listing. It's kind of fun. Um, but I kind of I, I stole that from David Lee Roth, who famously, according to legend, had these incredibly complex tour riders with all of these details about. How what color the couches had to be, and how the pyrotechnics would work. And he had this one detail in there, which was that he needed a glass full of just brown M&Ms. And the point wasn't that he wanted M&Ms. The point was he wanted to make sure they read the entire thing, because there was complex pyrotechnic information. If they didn't, they could have caused an accident. And so we could instantly tell by the presence of M&Ms that they had read the entire tour rider. And so I kind of stole that concept and applied it to my Airbnb listing, where I can instantly tell by the presence of this code phrase, whether or not they've read my entire listing, and that's just been, I think, my favorite little hack.
0: Ah, that's really cool, I've never heard that before. Uh, We're planning on doing a a series, eventually, of particular cities, hotspot cities in the U.S., like San Francisco, L.A., where we have almost a roundtable discussion of hosts talking about the, the places that they like to recommend, obviously New York, huge Airbnb city, when when you have guests come in, what are some of the places, what are some of the places in your neck of the woods that you like you have to check this out. This is amazing and this is a great restaurant or a great bar, etc.
2: Sure. Um, What I've actually done is I created a document that I send them prior. I send people two documents before they check in. One is all the information they need for the house. How do you get into the house? Uh, Where are the things you need? How does the TV work? What are the basic rules, like shoes or no shoes, that kind of stuff? Um, And then the other document I send them is here's the coolest stuff you should check out. I kind of try to stay away from the obvious things like Central Park or the Empire State Building because chances are they've heard of those and kind of veer a little bit more into hidden gem territory, especially um, things in the immediate vicinity of my apartment, so restaurants or bars or attractions very close to me. Um, I just kind of send them this document, and guests really like it. I think one reason people use Airbnb is because they want sort of a uh, locals experience, for lack of a better term. They want to feel like they're living with the locals and living like the locals and checking out the local stuff. And just creating a simple document that has, you know, a couple of your favorite things either in your neighborhood or hidden throughout the larger city can go a long way towards helping to accomplish that goal without really taking any time on your part. You know, you make the document once and then you email it off.
1: So do you send do you send this out right when people book or, or do you wait like until like a week before they check in?
2: I actually, I do send it about a week before they check in. Uh, it's a way to sort of confirm, you know, if they book four months in advance, you want to make sure that you have some contact with them a little bit closer to the check-in just to see if their travel plans have changed or to make sure everything's cool and get them excited for their trip. So I send an email about a week before check-in saying, hey, just, you know, confirming your arrival time. Let me know if there's anything you need. Here are these two documents. One, Gives you everything you need to know for the apartment the other everything you need to know for the city we're in
1: and do, did you ever uh, come in a situation where where people didn't read your guide
2: oh all the time um and you know it's so it's yeah of course um and so when guests check in i, I kind of walk them through anything that's really important about the apartments just, you know, if they, if they didn't read a guide that's like, here's a restaurant, you should check in, whatever, they, they missed out. It's not a big deal. What's more important is making sure they understand, like, just the basic rules for the house and how things work around here, so to speak. And that kind of stuff, I walk them through again. And I'm sure to say, you know, hey, I put this in the guide, but I find it helpful to walk through it because some people don't read it. And also, just in case you have any questions as we go through it. And most guests start nodding their head because, yeah, they read it, but every once in a while, You know they'll ask questions that kind of reveal that they did not read it or read it a long time ago or forgot it, and so it's just nice to go over things again. Right. You um, can't assume that people. You can't assume people have read anything.
1: Yeah. And a couple weeks ago, and this is a reason why I I asked the question. A couple weeks ago, I I happened to be at my own house, which is pretty rare. Um, But uh, I had some guests arriving, and they literally called me the moment they, they landed at the airport, and they asked me what the address was. Yeah, which is funny because I sent, I sent them a twenty two page guidebook with pictures and you know directions and like I send them probably two or three extra emails with, with the address and I think you can also see it on the on the you know, in Airbnb as well. Yeah. So now I uh, I actually send a, a separate email telling guests to either print out the guide or or just note down the address in their smartphone or on a piece of paper just to make sure that they have it.
2: Yeah. So you'll find, it, you know, one time I had a guest who, so you'll find that sometimes guests are a little bit incommunicado when they're traveling. If they're traveling to multiple cities and it's a big worldwide jaunt, especially, uh, they may not be on email much or at all. And so I, you know, it's, I think it's really important to send it you know at least a week in advance the information and and confirm that they got it you really need to like confirm they got it because if they're traveling around the world they may never be checking email and you need to make sure they have the information I've literally had a guest who you know did not I was I sent it like two weeks before they didn't hear anything from them I like kept right hey just I'm trying to reach you guys I tried to call them I tried to contact them through Airbnb I couldn't reach them and then especially because I was um, away most of that day and then I get a call from them when they're literally in front of my door saying uh why can't we get in I was like I'd sent you 40 emails <laughs> trying to <laughs> confirm your your information um, and I sort of anticipate this would happen and managed to uh, you know find a way to get a key to them but you know you really need to confirm to the best of your ability That they understand how to get into your apartment prior, whether you're there or not. Like That's the most basic thing, I think. Because a lot of people, especially ones who are new to Airbnb, kind of feel like a hotel where they think they can just sort of show up and check in at any time. Not really... Grasping the the concept that you know you need to be there, or your system, whatever it is, needs to be in place for them to check in, and that's something that you really need to communicate the first time Airbnb guests, especially because it's not a hotel where they can check in and there's a front desk agent just waiting
0: for them. When people make reservations, do with your particular listing? Do you have uh, instant book enabled? No, definitely not.
2: It's the reason being, you know, and, and I don't really turn down many bookings if people bother to you know you know what I find it is I try to engage them in a couple of questions back and forth just to make sure hey you're a real human being who really wants to stay here and you actually read my listing great that's pretty much you know my criteria uh, you know it, and most people who are using Airbnb have an open mind are really cool and you don't get too many people who don't really want to stay with you I reason I don't use Instant book excuse me the reason I don't use instant book rather is it I view my calendar as a jigsaw puzzle and I'll have, you know, these three days that I need to fill because I'm leaving that day at that morning and and then somebody else is coming that next day and you want to minimize the amount of downtime between them. And there's all of this, like a complex mental calculus that goes into the length of stay you want to fill particular sections in your calendar. An instant book, you lose control. Like if somebody could just say a three-day booking in the middle of a prime week, well, the rest of that week could be out of commission suddenly. And you really want to, at least I want to kind of stack my bookings really closely together. And I might, for example, have two days set as the minimum stay, but really it's a week and I only allow two-day bookings. There happens to be two days between longer stays. And you kind of lose that ability to parse through the details and match up calendar dates as closely and as, as however you want to when you use Instant
1: Book. Now you've hosted how many groups? Probably more than two, three hundred.
2: Probably close to around four hundred.
1: Okay, cool. So we talked about some of your best experiences, but I would also like to ask you, did it ever go wrong? There must have been some okay. some issues at some point, right? And so you know, cons- it's a two-part yeah. question. So what, what happens and how did you solve it?
2: Sure. Um you know, considering the number of bookings I've had, I've had remarkably few troubles, basically none major and very few minor. Um, I find that as long as you bother to engage the guests and kind of be communicative with them and set expectations, everybody's pretty cool. Uh, sort of the minor things that I you know, maybe could have done without. Uh, you know, sometimes you, let me think, for example, um, you sometimes have guests who are, on the needy side, if you will, who, it's not a bad thing, but they'll be constantly, constantly texting you and asking you for things. Either that's that they're really kind of unfamiliar with the city and lost, or they kind of still sort of have this hotel mentality where you're at their beck and call. But again, very, very rarely. Other times, the, the only thing that really jumps out at me is something I could have done without was I had the girl who decided to smoke in the apartment. Uh, she, didn't, she was from Italy, I believe, and I guess she didn't quite understand that it's polite to ask people before lighting cigarettes in their house. But once we uh, kind of identified what was going on, she was extremely apologetic.
1: I think in Italy it's uh it's pretty normal to 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 smoke a little bit. You know, smoke I, there, I, yes.
2: <laughs> I, I have friends from Italy and I asked them about that, and they say you still ask people before lighting yeah. in their house. <laughs> it's, it's so that was sense. I could have done without that.
1: <laughs> and when well, I'll that, but, also if that's the, the worst yeah. in, for, in for over 400 stays then <laughs> I think uh,
2: you know Yeah, I mean it, that, there's really no problems. And again like no I don't think anything has been broken more than like a like an IKEA glass or a plate, and nobody has stolen anything that I'm aware of. Um, and you know, like people ask, like, "Oh, aren't you worried that somebody's going to steal something?" And I say, like, "Well, you know what? If you're looking to rob somebody, doing it via a service that has their credit card information on file is probably not the best way to go about doing it." And <laughs> I feel I feel pretty secure with my Airbnb guests, especially because I live there. you know, it Maybe I'd be a little bit more cautious about locking things up or hiding things if I uh, was dealing with guests when I was not present, but because I live there, it's a little bit different.
0: So for all those hosts out there who are thinking of getting started, already started, what piece of advice or pieces of advice do you have to offer as far as getting a listing off the ground, et cetera?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, I think what you got to do is be on the ball in terms of replying to messages because people who send Airbnb messages, you know, they're worried that they're not going to get a place. And if the first person who offers them something, they're often going to go ahead and book. And if you wait a day to get back to somebody, you'll find that somebody else has already taken them in. So you can't dilly-dally. You have to like be on the ball. Using the app is really helpful because it can send you an alert when you have an incoming message. So totally totally do that. Also, set your prices a little bit low at first. It's really, you know, you, once you get a couple reviews and some momentum, you can raise your prices a little bit. But you need to get those initial reviews and those initial bookings, and lowering your price by a couple dollars is definitely helpful at first, especially because if you, being a new host, don't have any reviews, you'll find that a lot of people are hesitant to stay with you, just as you might be hesitant to take in a guest who doesn't have any reviews. And so I think you really need to kind of take that into account when pricing your place. Uh, so that that definitely helps. Um, Make sure you're really detailed in your listing, and make sure, even if you haven't had a chance to take advantage of the free photography from Airbnb, which you definitely should do because they send you a great photographer for free to take these photos, which are totally awesome, make sure that the photos you take before that are good as well. They don't have to be incredible, but they can't be blurry and at like a 90-degree angle. You'd be amazed how many listings, like the place just looks filthy or ratty or it's impossible to see what's going on or there's no lights on or the photo is flipped 90 degrees. Like simple things like that can make your place seem welcoming and more important, just make it seem like you care because you know, if you're trying to get in the head of a prospective guest, they see that you haven't bothered to put up good photos. They'll think, Oh, you're not going to bother to produce a nice experience or a nice day as well. Also be, incredibly descriptive in your and also friendly in your listing some listings i find are kind of standoffish uh or robotic and i think by kind of injecting your own personality into your listing it's really helpful because again like what a lot of people want is your personality and and an experience that's different from a sterile hotel you'll find that as a host you know half of what your reviews are about isn't about your place it's about you And, you know, you being your best self and and showing people your personality is really important, both for getting in bookings, but also making sure that the guests are satisfied with their stay.
1: Well, that's a great advice. I definitely agree with everything you said. And I want to go back to one thing you said. You said... When you start off, you want to uh, lower your prices. You want to make it competitive to compensate for the fact that you don't have a lot of reviews and you don't have a good reputation on Airbnb yet. And I think that's very good advice. My question is how do you determine your prices right now?
2: Sure. It's, uh, you know, I think the best thing to do is kind of browse around your neighborhood and see what comparable apartments are going for And you can't really just take what they're going for. you have to see which ones what they're going for but also which ones are actually getting bookings because if something is going for a really high price but there's no reviews listed for it or their calendar is totally unbooked, well that tells you something. So you kind of have to just poke around the neighborhood and see how booked our calendars at different price points. And then kind of work with it there. And I think one thing that's also helpful to do is change your pricing over time. So, you know, obviously, if you're talking about something four months from now, you have more time to find a guest for it at any price point. So what I like to do is, you know, raise my price by just like a couple dollars, not much for further out bookings, and then lower them as we get closer and they remain unbooked. That way you kind of can... Uh, you know, make them more appealing to people when you yourself don't have as much time to book them.
1: And do you adjust your prices for seasonality, um, maybe day of the week versus weekends or special events like Christmas, New Year's or when there's a big event going on in town?
2: yeah, I don't really do it for weekends because most of my guests are you know staying for about a, a week in total or so. and I don't typically have just like weekend guests. that's I mean, that's a New York thing. If you're dealing with certain locations, you're getting a lot of weekend guests. So certainly like maybe Las Vegas or somewhere that's primarily a weekend spot, like the Hamptons, like those people will definitely, be able to raise their prices for the weekend, but I kind of keep them consistent from day of the week. I do raise them a little bit, really not much. I mean like three or $4 uh, for certain holidays that a lot of people come to New York for, as well as peak season. The only really down season in New York is like January, February, Uh, New York. What's good about New York is there's always people coming to New York. It's not a seasonal destination. And you have people who are coming for vacations, but also for business. And so you have people constantly looking for places in New York, which is really makes, makes it a uniquely great place to be an Airbnb host. January and February tend to be a little bit slower, so you do need to lower your rates a little bit then, but not by too much.
1: Have you heard about the pricing apps that recently have um, are becoming more popular, like Beyond Pricing and Everboot? Tell me about those. What do they do? So basically, they directly connect to your airbnb listing and they update your prices with the optimal prices and they calculate this based on uh demand that they see for other airbnb listings as well as uh, flight data uh, hotel bookings and and all sorts of other factors they they basically have they specialize in calculating those optimal prices they have like statisticians and um, data engineers and data analysts and, and all those people who are really smart, and uh, that's all they do—they calculate prices and they automatically update your listing every single day.
0: And and you know I use beyond I use beyond pricing for my listing in LA and. And it, at this point, too, because it's still I think it's still technically beta in the beta version, but it's completely free and it's awesome. I can't tell you already. It's I mean, it takes all the work away and it's definitely in certain cases priced higher than I would have. And I've still gotten uh list um sorry, requests and bookings it has been fantastic.
1: Huh.
2: I, I'll definitely give that a shot.
1: Yeah, and actually, we we uh, I, I talk to the CDO quite often, and um, of Beyond Pricing, which is what I use, and we have a, a special code. It's GP four, as in the number four, and then YP, so an abbreviation of Get Paid for Your Pad. And you can get you can get three months for free. And what's okay? Also, I'm
2: gonna answer this right now. <laughs> say, your, say your code one more time.
1: GP four YP. Okay. So, so basically um what you can also do uh for for those who want to check it out, they have a demo section. So you don't even have to sign up. You can literally just put in your, your Airbnb URL, press the demo button, and you can see the prices that they would recommend. But like Josefa said, it's what's really cool about it is that you never have to worry about updating your prices anymore. Because what I what used to happen to me sometimes is I would update my prices for the next couple months, but then I forget to update them for like five or six months out. And then some, somebody would book my place for New Year's, and I, I forgot to raise the prices. And in Amsterdam, you can, you can charge double, if not more, around uh, New Year's and Christmas. So I, I, uh, <clears throat> I had to decline the, the booking because I forgot to update my prices, and I felt kind of stupid about mm-hmm. that. Anyway, um give it a shot. Yeah, you should give it a give it a try. It's uh, pretty convenient and uh I'm definitely making more money now because of it. Um all right. So Seth, thank you so much for your time. It's it's been awesome talking. We've been going for quite a quite a while and I'm sure we can continue for a few more hours if we if we uh we have the time. Um but th- thank you so much for for being on the show. And uh and good luck with uh with your listing. And of course, Josefas, it was good to have you back as well.
0: Absolutely, my (laughs) pleasure.
1: And for all the listeners, of course, every Monday there's a new episode. We'll put up the show notes for this episode at getpaidforyourpet.com forward slash podcast, where you can also find all the other 68 episodes that we've had so far. We're we're almost at one year, not quite, but... um, but definitely have some some cool episodes coming up as well. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you
0: next week Get paid for your pet gett paid for your pet get paid for your pet can't for your pet get paid for your pet get paid for your pet!